All right, folks, welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with actor Jennifer Rubin about dreams, psychic visions, Robert England, nightmares on Elm Street, modeling, and more. As always, thank you for listening, and if you'd like to help the show grow, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Welcome home, Darren. Look familiar. Okay, asshole. Let's dance. Boils and ghouls, this is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Take us back in time to when you were a youngster. Were you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? All the above. When I first went to school in the first couple of grades, kindergarten, first, second, third, there was a book about two friends. They shared everything. They were like two little kids, like five-year-olds that shared a carrot, you know, had a picnic. And the goat ate the... Well, there was a boy and a girl. They shared everything. It was my favorite book, and I stole it. But then when they were handing out report cards, if your library books weren't returned, you couldn't get a report card. Right. I had to sneak off, run home, get the book. I asked for the bathroom pass at five. So this goes into the troublemaker. (laughs) I was smart enough in like third grade to get a bathroom pass, run home, get the library book. And then turn it in so I get my report card because my mom would have been mad if I didn't have my report card. I had my report card with health too because I had a copy of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery that I kept over. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I love that about books. And then as far as, far as the, when my mom remarried, we moved in and we had big beacon boxes, you know, those mm-hmm. big wardrobe boxes and stuff. And me and my brother made a fort out in the backyard. And somewhere we found like some brute man spray or something mm. we were we were only like eight or nine but that was our air freshener we'd spray in there <laughs> what sort of music did you grow up on you know what sort of records were spinning around the house back then well my mom really listened to the blues billy holiday diana ross johnny mathis dion warwick and then when i got a little older my older sisters brought home zz top bruce springsteen my first concert was Kenny Rogers. That was my first concert. My, I guess my sister was made to ha- had to take me, but I had just had my wisdom teeth out. So I was all drugged up around like 12 <laughs> or 13 years old. But And I just stood in the middle of the field like, bring back the silver fox. Because I didn't know when they go off stage, like if we clap long enough, they'll come back. And like literally the whole field was empty. And I'm like, bring back the silver fox. <laughs> 
I loved him so much. Because it was all the gambler songs, like, yeah. you know, and to hold them, hold them. <laughs> so ZZ Top, so my sisters had great musical taste. Mm. And then when I got out on my own, well, not out on my own, like in high school, I really liked Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks was the best. Did you go to many concerts or? No, well, maybe it was my thing, but I was just born a little too young for all the great, like, Queen, Bruce Springsteen, three-hour concerts. You know, the, I think the only concert in high school I went to was Kiss. That guy with the tongue freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, he can have that effect on you. Yeah, so I guess that's fun. I mean, looking back, it's fun, but I was gobsmacked when I saw that. And then after that, oh, and then once I started modeling, you know, because I left Arizona and then went around the world as a model. Oh, man, the best music. Then I was backstage mm. all the time. Hall of Notes and ABC, Phil Collins, Don Henley, the Beastie Boys, everybody. Chris Isaac was, you know, because my old boyfriend was Jimmy, but then I was just around everybody. That was wild. Sticking on your childhood for a bit, when you think back to, you know, formative films and TV shows, what comes to mind? Oh, well, they were really into um, medical shows like Dr. Kildare and Marcus Welby, MD. So they kind of really glamorized medical shows. And mm. then it went into like, and then Buffy and Jody, you know, single parent, you know, single parent raising two children kind of stuff. My Three Sons, Partridge Family, Brady Bunch. Then when I started to be old enough, it was about all the rich man, poor man roots, more miniseries kind of movies. Do you remember the first film that you saw in the theater? Well, yeah, because it traumatized me. It was uh, Bambi. Oh, yeah, that'll get you. But, but the thing is, is why it was so traumatizing was because my parents, my biological parents were split up. And of course, it was my dad who brought me to Bambi, where the glorious moment where the mother and child are leaping through the air and then she, a gunshot rings out and kills the mother. Mm -hmm. That was like my parents could compete on a level of... <laughs> terror for their children that was not to be believed but i just couldn't believe he he brought me to a kill the mother show with your mom and dad were either of them were they artistically inclined or involved in the business whatsoever my mother was when she was younger she did write poetry and she has incredible taste but my mom is more like a vogue editor very quiet and very like being of service service oriented in a more practical logical way this is something i like to ask everyone just because you never know what scared you as a kid my parents <laughs> yeah scared me to death <laughs> well they were so young you know by the time my mom was 20 she had four kids yeah maybe 21 she was 20 maybe 21 she had four children that's a lot of children for a young kid i mean i can look back at it now my parents are fun okay so don't i don't want to just paint them as scary my right. parents are super fun people but sometimes I just wasn't in the mood for fun because I didn't really feel I was born with some learning disabilities like a lot of them so having fun seemed really traumatic to me so you mentioned that you grew up in Phoenix what's a typical high school weekend look like for you growing up were you a big party or anything like that well no I love my high school my high school and the people in it at least especially like three or four clicks that there were 
were just and still are some of the most amazing good people and so you know i hung out with the girl that won prom queen so but she won it in seventh grade eighth grade ninth grade tenth grade junior year there was a new girl who was like farrah fawcett she won it that (laughs) year her name was Jeannie faulkner and then uh, Stacy won it again as a September. So it was a real school to me was a very consistent, wonderful place to be. I just loved everybody. Mm. You know, I'm, you know, I just loved being with people. And I really just admired all the people that I grew up with. I really do have a, you know, I, I loved them all so much. I almost feel like I wish I never left home. Jennifer, prior to getting your start with modeling, had you ever been on stage or drama or been in school theater or anything like that at all? Well, I went to Thunderbird High School. I was trying to think. I had a great art class in Shaw Butte School, my great my elementary school. I had a great art teacher there with clay and kiln. That was really great. But then when I went into my sophomore year, I took drama. That was really fun because that teacher had us make a short film. And I won second place. And I was so pissed off because I just couldn't imagine how the cutest guy in the school couldn't win. But I met it like a criminal. He was a bank robber because in Arizona, it's kind of all like cowboys and Indians. And, and But I wanted to see Ronnie Click's film, which won first place. And I was so pissed off. He had like a Schwinn bike with the long front, you know, yeah, with the yeah. banana seat and everything. Mm-hmm. Gold bike. He had blonde hair like Farrah Fawcett too. But he rolled up to the state capitol's flagpole and it panned up. And then he did a picture of the state capitol. And then he would like did, did all this kind of patriotic stuff in some weird, twisted way. I just idolized criminals. And so he was doing the red, white, and blue, which I really am patriotic. I really am patriotic. But I just thought that this guy, Frank Didonatus, as a bank robber, eating cereal was so much better than that. Thing is, is that it's, what, 50 years later? And... I, I mean, I still stay in contact with Ronnie, but, and I'm making a film myself, but it's just like, I can't wait to just like, ah, you know. So when it comes to the uh, the Ford Modeling Agency, won't you just, just take me through how that happened for you and how that jumped off well, your career? I graduated from Thunderbird High School. And then my first love, we met when we were eight years old. And we were together all through high school. And then he said to my sister, told my, asked my sister to ask me to go to the college he was going to. So I did. When I was there at my freshman year in the first couple of semesters, I started to fail out. So I was just walking around campus and uh, they had talent scouts there. And I should have been in class. So it's really, (laughs) this is kind of a story about don't go to class and, you know, win a a complete glamorous life. (laughs) They they said, uh, model in your hometown and we'll take you to New York. And then when I went to my hometown modeling school, they said, uh, well, forget school. We'll just take you to New York. We're leaving in a couple of weeks. And I ended up winning International Model of the Year. That's the name of the contest, International Model of the Year. And it was at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. And like I said, I had a lot of learning disabilities, but I really liked people. So I didn't really know how disruptive I was at school. Once I started doing go in New York, well, when I interviewed with all the agents, the one thing I said to all of them was like, I don't want to go to Paris. I don't want to go to Paris. I don't want to go to Paris. And so one agent said, that's fine. You don't have to go to Paris. And I signed with them. 
and that was Wilhelmina. But it's good that they tricked me because two weeks later I was on a plane to Paris. <laughs> But the thing is, is that I didn't know where Paris was. You know what I mean? Like right. the idea of me leaving land and going across water to another body of land was just way more than my cowboy mind could even imagine. And in fact, the first place I got off the plane, I was wearing my cowboy plaid. I went to a Valentino show and I felt like a clown <laughs> because they were so luxuriously beautiful with fabrics and colors. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> I'm ug actually ugly. <laughs> it was so beautiful. So, uh, I mean, it just started like that. But, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I like people. So I just kept going. Like you just said, you know, your cowboy mind really couldn't comprehend Paris. Did you, do you remember struggling with the move to New York initially from Phoenix? Oh, no, because Arizona's like hotter than fuck, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it's like a, one of those uh, Sergi Leone movies. It's really like that. You know, I like it like that. I like to be out in the middle of the desert and I found New York to be the same way it was so intense but it was as intensive as intense as the Arizona heat what happened was like at the airport they loaded all the models on a bus and I sat in the front row and then there was this truck you know it's kind of just like a regular moving truck you would say you know just a normal route moving truck but it was filled with people and they were puking out of the back and I was just like, wow, glamorous, <laughs> you know. When I actually sat down and I put my feet down on the ground and looked up those buildings, there was this feeling coming through the bottom of my feet, up my legs, through my torso and arms, and out of my head with excitement, like, Mm -hmm. Wow, we! You know, it was just like it existed as if I was at another world and like, and I really was. Do you remember enjoying modeling, like your first shoot and being on the runway and stuff? Do you, did you enjoy it? Oh yeah, I love modeling. I still, I still do. I mean, I, it's different now, but I, I love, I loved modeling because I never talked and I don't really have any opinions. So they could dress me up and do my hair whatever way they wanted to do. I think if I ever gave advice to, you know, people who want to model, don't have a fixed idea of what you should look like. You should really be a canvas for other people. And I think that when I see girls that want to model who think their look is, you know, super fantastic, it's like actually you need to be bare bones and then just be like a doll, like a blank canvas. Mm. But sometimes people, you know, there are people who don't cut their hair, you know, like they have the same haircut because they think it looks good that way. They don't do it every decade, right? I mean, I shouldn't talk. I hardly have any hair. <laughs> but that was when I had a full head of hair. What was the catalyst that led you from modeling to acting? Did you move to L.A.? Well, because I heard that every day you worked was a day off your career. It just went through my mind like, oh, I should do something else then. Because people said, oh, you didn't really give modeling a chance. And it was just like, well, if you could see the beauties. When you have like 500 beauties in a room, it's kind of like, and, and not in any derogatory way, but you can kind of tell by the beautiful shapes of the body. Like for me, like I'm a face. I'm a face. I'm like a head and shoulders, actually. I'm head and shoulders. And then you kind of just want to skip the belly part. 
Well, no, I'm kind of like my bot. My body is kind of like boxy. It's like a. It's like square in the middle. So the thing is, is like when you're modeling wedding dresses or bathing suits, you want to kind of be hippie with a small waist and then kind of with some jugs, right? But my bot, my body. I have a swimmer's body. I I was a really great swimmer. So I have like a Michael Phelps body. But it's kind of so I have a head and the shoulders, which is really great for my career. And then you kind of want to skip the middle part and then go down to my fantastic legs. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I have like an A-frame body. Like when I wear things, I kind of do an A-shape because that kind of shows my body in the best light. So there's like there's things I couldn't model because I just didn't have the shape. But I had, you know, makeup campaigns. I had a lot of makeup campaigns, like in Japan and the Philippines. And I could do like sporty models, right? Like kind of JCPenney's, Sears, you know what I mean? Right. And I could do the luxurious Vogue magazine and Harper's Bazaar and all those kind of things. But yeah, it's amazing now that I don't know. When I was younger, it was more about just fresh and face. And like in the, I think in the 80s, people were more into like face, hair, and legs. And then I think it changed into more maybe when, well, just the evolution of the camera. I think it then started to change more to, you know, you can have heavy legs as long as you have bikini body. There wasn't so many wigs as there are now. You know, now everybody has a wig. In fact, I went on a go-see like the other day and I didn't have a wig on and everybody had wigs on and I it just looked like I had leukemia. You know, because I had no hair. And then like all these other people were just doing like hair, tits, booty. I would be more classified as a young boy, not like a voluptuous woman. <laughs> Do you think the the reason for the wigs probably goes back to what you were saying about people being scared to cut their hair? I, well, I never know. I mean, if somebody had a wig in the 80s and 90s, like I would have probably not even known right. they had a wig. But I think like in the 90s, wig business took off. Like beauty just, I mean, beauty evolves, right? So I grew up in Brooke Shields era, right? So right. Brooke Shield was our model. So I have heavy eyebrows and kind of look like Brooke Shields, you know, in some way or close enough, right? We can't, you know, we need Brooke Shield types. But then, you know, the beauty standard, you know, the, the next it girl might have been Farrah Fawcett. So then it's about big blonde feathered hair. And then it's Kim Kardashian who has, or Lizzo even. I mean, they have very Venus goddess bodies. Maybe it's just the evolution of kind of pornography, but it's like the Venus, you know, we all we always had our Venuses, but I think they were more waifish, you know, but they were into something else. They were really into faces and legs. But now you have tits and ass, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's all good, you know, it's all good, but you know, you got to know, you got to know, you got to know when to stop, right? So, with the modeling, when did the transition to acting happen for you? Was Dream Warriors your very first acting gig period? Dream Warriors? No, I did a couple of movies before that. It's just that's the biggest box office. So they put that one first. No, my first movie. Well, I actually heard that Phoebe Cates, see Phoebe Cates and her sister were always in Glamour magazine. She ended up marrying um, Kevin Klein. 
but her and her sister were like the models of the day. Like I was watching, like you know, Brooke Shields and Phoebe Cates, and God, there's so many models. So many models turned actress right around that time. I did it because I heard that Phoebe Cates did it. So I, I actually, and people said, "Oh, don't say that," and I'm like, "Why not?" Because she's the actress of my generation, you know, and a little bit ahead of me. That was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, before that, just right. right before Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So I'm a model in the 80s to the 90s, and then more of an actress in the 90s, gotcha. where it becomes evident that I can act. How did the opportunity for Dream Warriors happen for you? Was that a typical audition? I had billboards on for modeling. Jerry Bruckheimer's wife, Mrs. Bruckheimer, she was an editor of Mirabella Magazine, which is was a big magazine here. It's like kind of like Los Angeles Vogue magazine type thing. Gotcha. And so she kept me and Erica Butler. What was I? I'm getting her married name mixed up, but it's Erica. She's in the Nightmare Four movies. She she and I used to model kind of exclusively for Mirabella magazine. I was also the Cherokee girl. I had every bus stop and billboards every I mean you couldn't walk outside if you would thought it was Jennifer Rubentown. You know, I was on buses and bus stops and billboards from Cherokee and on TV doing those commercials. So kind of like when I was walking around, you know, if I showed up, you know, people were just like, hey. You're that girl. So, yeah, that's your girl. Yeah. So, you know, it was, uh, it was my transition from nowhere to somewhere was extremely fast. It was shocking how fast it was and it, how well I did in that creative environment you know I mean I, I'm a little touched with a little bit of autism so you know it's it's the perfect environment because there's a lot of stimuli I'm not picking up on I'm staring at my belly button so a lot of stuff just goes right over my head I mean there's a lot of stuff now about that time that I used to walk around all the time just going really 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 <laughs> really I mean, that was the one word I could, I got after like two decades of saying really, I was just like, shut up, stop saying really. I mean, but just like, I just couldn't believe how the way people were. It was like, really? So, but you know, that kind, but thank God for being a little bit touched because I didn't see the worst side of that business, right? So how much did you know about your character, Taryn, going into your audition? Or did you know anything? Yeah, I did because like when I told you, I, like when I was born and stuff, I had, I was born with this long word disease is a blood thing right. where you know I didn't have enough white blood cells or something and so I stayed in the incubator in the hospital for like months and they had to give me and when I got older and got out I would have these shots in the in my ass and at some point I remember being in cowboy boots and my jeans and a red shirt and I was took it we're taking me to the doc the doctor the nurses my mother and my grandmother they couldn't hold me down to put the shot in my ass because I was just like uh, I'm done with it so like a wild horse I kicked my way out of there they never really made me take another shot in my ass again so when Freddie comes at me with needles yeah. that was real right yeah yeah that's crazy yeah, it was really crazy. And then also, too, being in like us, you know, in our little, what is it? I don't, it's not an insane asylum, but it's, what is it? Like a, uh, uh, like a hospital, maybe? Yeah, a hospital yep. for kids. My dad was also a pharmacist. And, you know, as a natural rebel, I just hated pills and drugs. 
I mean, you couldn't have picked a better kid for how you want to be scared of drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also be in the world of drugs, you know. I really do like being the character that has a drug problem and that, you know, like say if the, in the movie I say I kicked his ass, then I would have, that would have been like a nice little sober story, sobering story, right? But so, yeah, no, I have a terror of medicine and drugs that is, it's not rational. Uh, because even if you try to say, oh, take an aspirin, I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's such an insult to me. Like I get like, if I can't sleep it off, then you're just, well, you're going to have to wait until I sleep it off. And then I come out back out. So do you remember the very first scene you shot on that movie? I remember more, I remember more preparing for the part than the first scene. I think it was like, because I had that, I had to get fitted for that outfit. That was pretty astounding because there was like a little, it was at Trashy Lingerie on La Cienega. And the man there was like a little Danny DeVito type, but like a penguin, you know, as he plays penguin. So I had like a little man you know, hand making that outfit. It was so weird to me. Like, <laughs> like really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was him and his wife. And I'm like, he's putting a dog collar on me. And I'm like, really? <laughs> so, all right. I remember all that. And then loading up on the set. And I remember all the feelings. I remember just the tremendous support of the everybody there. And the audition was so fun, you know, because mm. they tested us all together that was just really amazing so it went by so fast yeah jennifer this is the third installment of the nightmare franchise you know it's rolling by this point were you aware at all before you joined just like what freddie was what nightmare on elm street was or how popular it was no i mean i was working back then i i was already working like pop in for you know, however many weeks, and then you go to your next one. But I remember walking and thinking, if it was good enough for Johnny Depp, it's good enough for me. <laughs> right. Because it, because there's a, there was a lot of people, not a lot of people, but the assholes that were around me were like, don't do it, don't do it. You know, you and I do understand, like, when you're in films, you have one chance to kind of break through, right? So when you break through... They, I don't find that you get a second chance to make an impression. Right. So when you're that that you know drug addict girl who kills you know from an overdose, then you know then naturally that starts the ball rolling towards bad dreams where I'm being drugged in a hospital. And then but see, and that's also too, it's playing on all like my fears that I have from having my mom's in the medical field and my dad is and you know I have a sister with MS and and nobody ever knew that about me because I would just be too afraid to even say I had my own issues I wouldn't even said that to myself but so it kind of was like for me acting was like a place for me to kind of regurgitate and heal those unresolved traumas because there's a lot of trauma around that in those early parts of being uh manipulated or abused or whatever the word is, then I felt like, you know, I felt like it was cleansing. You know what I mean? Like it was acting for me was like cleansing and very spiritual. I mean, some people want to be a star and they're very extroverted and, you know, they love being center of attention. That's not me. I want to 
crawl out of my, I want to be in a hole and I want to crawl out of my hole, tap dance and get back into my hole just because I have all those psychological health issues that freak me out, but aren't really rational. Did you struggle with the setting of the movie at all? Did you not like? No, no, I'm not that kind of, I'm not that, I'm not that kind of challenge. I don't believe in, I don't believe in that. I believe that your biggest challenges in life are your gift. And so I really feel like the reason that I had those challenges spiritually for me was so I could go act it out and then help other people get off drugs. I never, I never fit, you know, I'm also, I love underdogs. I, I guess I am one, but I, but also at the same time, I'm a champion. So the thing is, it's like, I really love the degree of difficulty. The harder it is to do, it's the easiest things for me to do. And the easy things for me that people do are very, very hard for me to do. So nothing that nothing's going to ever get me down, even if, well, at this age, I've been down a couple of times and I always got back up. I don't go for that. Except the thing is, is like if you lose a child or think there's some grief that it does break people, but I never had grief. You know, I had grief, then I snapped out of it, you know, took years, but I snapped out of it. Yeah. What was your first impressions of Robert England? Well, I had met him before. My man, you know, some, you know, in, in Beverly Hills, you're, when you're, your manager or your agent, they walk you around and parade you around like a show pony, you know? So you always end up doing these walks and stuff. My agent was ponying me around and we two met, but he was doing V at the time. Mm. And they just said, oh, he's a big star. He's a big star. He's a big star. He's a big star. He was very young then and he was very polite. And, you know, he just, he was almost like Gene Hackman in a way. The kind of talent that has like class, very classy. So Robert tells this story about me and I just, it just popped into my head. I must have flirted with him because he's telling this story where like, I guess I wanted to spend some time with him or, you know, hang out with him or something, but he was always getting his makeup done. You know, the prosthetic stuff, not makeup, but prosthetic stuff. And I could hear him in there and stuff. And I knew he was going to, you know, at the end of the day, I knew he was going to be back in the morning so I wrote in red lipstick on the mirror like a note to him so I think I can I think I hit on him (laughs) (laughs) I was definitely flirting with him he made an impression he remembered (laughs) yeah yeah I mean isn't that great that he remembers that and I because at first I was like what is he talking to and I was like oh my god that sounds like me so much (laughs) I like people I have to tell you I'm a people person I just like people a lot all of them it's a great business to be in if you like people. Was the mohawk, was that a wig or how much hairspray did you guys have? No, that happened on it. No, that happened on the day and that's my to my whole credit and chucks. So, it's the day we're going to reveal magical powers of everybody. So, you know how my hair is long and straight, doesn't hold a curl. Well, it did hold a curl back then, but it's straight. And so they suit me up in this you know, like I said, dog collar and, you know, super, super studded shoulders and, you know, head and shoulders, man. It's all head and shoulders. Yeah. And I, d- I just looked at myself in the mirror and, at, you know, just because I had that modeling background, which I used to have some input, like my hair would be better this way or that way. It was just natural and normal for me to say, "Ugh, I hate my hair with this, like this hair with that. So I went to go, I left the, the makeup room and I started walking to go talk to Chuck. And there was Time Magazine was open, but folded 
you know, to a certain page. And in a little square, there was a picture of a mohawk, somebody in Time magazine, and they were talking about punk or something. And I saw it, and I just grabbed the magazine, and I continued on my way to Chuck. And I said, Chuck, can I do my hair like that? He goes, yeah, sure. I can't even remember what I initially went to go see Chuck about. But then I went back, and then in 10 seconds, we did my hair. I went back, and we teased the base of it. And then the lady had gelatin and hot water, sprayed some gelatin on my hair, clamped it, clamped it, clamped it. And then I stood up. It took about six minutes to do my hair. This is what I love about my earlier work is that, you know, it was so exciting and you could think of things on the spot. And then you do that a couple of times and it's fantastic. And I'll give you an example. I played basketball in the alley behind my house with my brother my whole life. We were all about the bank shot and everything, runner, you know, layups, everything. Well, so I can play. So I'll go get game at the park. I'll go play. And then if I hang out for like come back the second or third time in a row, then all of a sudden everybody's fixing my shot, fixing my dribble, telling me to do it like this and really interfering with it to a point where I can't hit a basket anymore and the ball goes over the, you know, the backboard. And that's that's really what I kind of felt happened with, you know, with acting because once I did that mohawk and they had the reveal and everything, it was like, do that for us. And then it was just like, well, that's not really the energy that there was not the space for the creativity, right? It's like, you know, you're going to get fired. You're going to get fired. You know, well, they aren't firing you yet. They're not firing you yet. You're, you know, you're walking on thin, you know, there's a lot of weird things set on set for some reason that they don't want you to feel they want you to do your best, but they don't want you to feel, you know, just they want you to know you're not that special. They want you to fall in line. Yeah, they mm. really do. They really do. And so the thing is, is like, I don't try to be boring, but if my hands are tied, it's just like, but you're, yeah. I'm young, you know what I mean? And the thing is, it's like they're interfering, you know, but the, I guess there's a ton of money on the line and that's why they do it. So it's all forgivable, but. I didn't have like a support group around me at any point in time. So for me, I felt uh, I felt pushed around. When did you realize just how big of a deal the movie was? When did it hit you that this was special? To when the people started jumping out of the bushes and pulling pieces of my hair out of my head. Oh, God. Stalkers. Stalkers were started to be really big back then with that girl, Rebecca Schaefer. That was when stalking started to be really big. Well, it just, you know, it just changes your whole world, right? You know, like people talk to you and they're like, think you're making a friend and they, they don't know who you are. And then they say, oh, I know who you are. And then you're like, oh, was that all fake? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, you don't you don't know if the friendship's genuine anymore. Kind of ruins your life a little bit, but that's cool. I'm autistic anyway. I'm going to go back home. <laughs> who cares? Right, right. It's going to be water off a duck's back, but it definitely <laughs> takes, thank God I'm made of metal. You right. Know? Very thick skin. Do you, have you ever had an experience that you would consider supernatural or paranormal? Oh, yeah. I, I believe in superpowers. Absolutely. All the time. A couple of times a week. Well, I believe in the supernatural. Absolutely. 110%. Happens all the time. I think most lives are guided by supernatural forces, but and they're they're pretty easy to see, but you have to have kind of like a willingness to see it. But I have a super powerful one. I was wondering about when I do my prayers, I really don't like to pray for a, a Ferrari if I really belong in a station wagon or vice versa. 
I don't know, I was listening to somebody probably on YouTube and they said, oh, you should uh, pray for gifts. And I was like, oh, that works for me. So I prayed for a gift and this was during COVID. I was talking to my friend the next day. I was saying to her, I said, yeah, I got to do something. I'm kind of losing my will to live here. You know, there's just the COVID lockdown was just like a lot. And I was like, you know, I said, well, you know, if I had a camera, because I wrote two scripts before, and I said, well, at least I could act out my own scripts in my house by myself with the camera, or I could shoot the homeless people outside of my house. And she goes, I want to see the homeless people outside of your house. <laughs> like this. Because I, you, I was talking about them all the time. They're like the most amazing people. I have to say that when I say home, I feel bad for using the word homeless. But so she goes, I have a camera. I'll send you my camera. And I was like, wow, that prayer for a gift really worked. So then I learned you got to pray for blessings and miracles. So the next day I was like, Say in my prayers, and I said, I'm praying for gifts, blessings, and miracles. <laughs> that was, I put that in and to the supernatural, and then lo and behold, a sonic boom in the middle of the night, and this car accident happened, and this car skidded 50 yards straight into the homeless where they were staying right there. But they had it, they were in a little car. The car screeching towards them like a fireball hit them but like a bill billiard ball into the side corner pocket and i said to myself the miracle is that i didn't have to watch them get squashed like a bug and also his wife who's usually sitting on the curb there she wasn't there so i said that's two miracles and blessings for me to realize that these guys' life are a miracle. Right. I don't like to use the word homeless, but they definitely are, and they're, li they're living in a kind of like a stagecoach. With the camera, I started documenting them because I thought for sure that's what the message to me was. And I was also fascinated by them because I thought, wow, if I had a brush with death like that, I, want, I really wanted just to see them like straighten up. I kept photographing them. I got them under contract and everything. And I've been, I've been uh, watching them for two years now. It doesn't make it a great movie without the fact that the reason they, they soon had to move after that because the building got bought and construction was gonna start. So I have the deconstruction and construction of that building while following in the neighborhood. They they relocate several times in the neighborhood. And that was just with one prayer, just one prayer. I That's why I say, you know, just keep those prayers, you know, supernatural forces, right? There's, it's supernatural. You know, if you want stuff from back in my, back in the day when I was younger, 20, 20 years ago, when I was on Route 66, I think I was filming a show on Route 66 and I bought this, you know, you know how they have those painted plates with scenarios on them? Yeah. I, I got the Barnum and Bailey circus plates. So I hung those on the wall and I was laying in bed. Somehow felt like somebody was in my house and I opened my eyes and there was, you know, like that suit of armor that the old medieval people wear. A medieval guy was crawling out of the plate. And it went, hey, you're not, you're not invited. Get out of here. And he went <laughs> back into the plate. <laughs> so that was really cool. I had stuff like that, too, in that apartment, too. Like, I was asleep, and I felt something. And then there was this little crawly spider. 
coming towards me and I kind of as I opened my eyes and the fear kind of clicked it kind of just reversed and went back into the wall yeah and they're the coolest one in that apartment that I had was so I'm asleep and I feel like there's this thing in my room and so I kind of slowly open my eyes and it's a big zebra eating cud, just chewing cud, like nah, 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 <laughs> right by my pillow almost. But he was, his head was at the, towards the foot of my bed and my head was on my pillow. And as my fear started to rise, his, from the back, from the back of, you know, from the spine, from the back, all of a sudden his stripes drained down and he became a white horse, black horse, brown horse, gray horse then he de-aged into the like big horse smaller horse pony into a horse head on a stick a broomstick and then a rocking horse for an infant and then boom gone holy shit yeah it was fucking fantastic yeah i have shit like that happen all the time like you know i really watch my back (laughs) half the time it is coming from the invisible in my life i can feel it come i can feel it coming because i have like these psychic powers where now if you don't know anything about psychic ability your moon has certain degrees and so the higher degree so there's 30 degrees in a sign like aries pisces leo whatever so whatever your your moon is the highest degree my my moon is at 28 degrees but it's also in the sign of pisces which makes it psychic if i was a capricorn with a moon in pisces at 28 degrees i would hear you're going to get married, you're going to win the lottery, you're going to have a child. I, you, I would hear all the good things that Capricorn materialism brings. But my son is in Aries, and so Aries is the soldier, the way of war. So with my psychic moon and the ways of war, if you're going to lie, cheat, steal, set on fire, do something you know you shouldn't do, I can hear you. So the thing is, is it's really difficult to be my boyfriend, right? Most of them are cheaters, (laughs) but only if they know they shouldn't be doing it. If they know better and do it when they lay down with me, I'm going to go, well, what did Stephanie say today? You don't want to even risk it unless you're really 100%. So one day I was, I had eaten a bunch of stuff. I think I was at a buffet and after I ate and I was all fine, just sitting there as loud as hell in my head, I heard, can I get a cheeseburger? And I start arguing with myself, like, what do you want a cheeseburger for? You just fucking ate everything on the table like this. And then this guy next to me goes, can I get a cheeseburger? I was like, oh, you want a cheeseburger. But if he wasn't overeating, I would have never have heard it. It's the fact that he was stuffing his face and he knew he shouldn't eat it that I heard it. So, you know, so like when I kind of feel like the Pink Panther a little bit, because when I leave my house and now I wear earplugs all the time because it's just like, I don't want to hear it. I can't mm. hear it, but I don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? I just want to get from A to Z and then just get back home. It was a, it's a big gift, but I, it makes me, um, it's not making me nervous for no reason, but it just is like, sometimes I just don't, where's the boundary? Am I just me or am I like picking up on something that, you know, I have to really kind of block things out instead of just kind of being open and vivacious. I kind of have to be like guarded. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, I do. Well, Jennifer, that is the reason why I ask everyone that question. Cause 
your answer. <laughs> you never know what people are going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to keep you all uh, morning here, Jennifer. Just to put a bow on everything and wrap it up, what's on the horizon for you? Anything coming up you can share? I'm editing the film now <clears throat> because the construction, the deconstruction and the construction of the building is weaved in with the couple, the couple who live in that car right so they're just about so I, I was filming this morning and I was just like oh my god am I gonna you know are, am I gonna get the shot before because they're putting up the wall where after this point I'm not gonna really be able to see from this point on when I'm filming it'll just be like I won't be able to see the workmen I'll just see plywood so it's essentially over and I'm editing the film I have I have the beginning middle and I'm kind of I have the end but I'm now doing like the third act so I'm editing that now so I'll have the rut cut the rough cut of my film and I will then be seeking out kind of a sound designer and then I want somebody to do a edit like I'll do the rough cut to show what the story is and then I need to bring in or meet somebody who is like a real editor and then I and then I'm going to put that in you know submit that into festivals so it's going it's coming along <clears throat> there's the last you know I, like I said it's that supernatural where I, the, the supernatural want this story out and I love it it's just terrific I can't say enough good things about it what is so great is that going from a model who didn't say anything to an actor who you know other people put words in my mouth to a writer where I could put words in other people's mouths and my own because I, one of those scripts is for me and now as a filmmaker where I shot it and edit, learned to edit and have a skill, right? So, like, I'm really happy with my career because it continues. Only for the sake that it continues through all those various stages, you know? Exactly. And that's well said. Well, Jennifer, I can't thank you enough for taking some of your time to chat with me. It's been a pleasure to get a chance to talk with you. Well, thank you so much. Well, you take it easy, then. Thank right, you, you too, for Jennifer. your time as well. I appreciate it. Bye-bye now. All right. Bye. All right, folks, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jennifer. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs>